Welcome to this very special Amazing Race Canada podcast from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone, and joining me as always is the Canadian who most people would regard as at least a B- in casting, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, and welcome to this, I guess it's sort of our, our second special podcast, because we had the Logan in LA special in, uh, in May, and we're now on to why Amazing Race Canada sucks. Uh, it's a working title. I should say, I think a more positive way of spinning it is how Amazing Race Canada could be better down the road. Yeah, uh, Amazing Race Canada, room for improvement. If you want to watch a season that sucks, watch The Amazing Race 24. If you want to watch a a season that sucks, think about the casting that could be possible for Amazing Race Canada All-Stars. Ha! Because I've just been having this thought and going, oh my god, this could go really well or really not. Well, when you only have 40, was it, 42 teams that I think have played total, uh, and you're trying to do an all-star version, with, and you have to have a minimum of a quarter of your possible uh, field of, uh, of uh, players to choose from, and that's not even, and that's before you get it, did have to discount some because they're unavailable or have other things to attend to, or it's just simply not possible for them, so then... You're really just going with whoever is able to play. Uh, so I think our, our thoughts can basically be separated into four categories, which is attitude, locations, casting, and twists. And we, alongside our own thoughts, we do have a lot of thoughts from other people about where Amazing Red Canada has done well and where it's done not so well, where there's room for improvement. Indeed. And the whole basis of this is in April, before a couple of days before they started actually filming Amazing Race Canada 4, I wrote a blog for the website that basically laid out where I thought Amazing Race Canada was after three seasons and what producers had to do to sort of change course. Because I th- I did say in that blog that I thought Amazing Race Canada was probably a little bit doomed if they continued on the path that they set themselves on last season. And they didn't correct that course at all. And then there's a drop of about 600,000 viewers or so in the process. or And more in some cases. Yeah. And the whole basis of this blog was the the winner quote that came from the Boulder Mussolini's from season three, which was, you don't need to travel anywhere else. You have everything you need in our home country. And that, to me, just sounded like the sort of attitude of the producers to say, look, guys... It's Amazing Race Canada, we're going to make this effing Canada, and nothing else. And we we kind of saw that attitude be reflected in Amazing Race Canada 4. You know that 
you might not be making the best decision possible when you're basing your opinion off of something that Gino and Chessie said. That is very true. And especially during season three, the sort of fires were stoked by producers. And there's a suspicion that I've heard this week that they might need a certain amount of Canadian episodes to get the funding that they need to have the season. Oh, really? Yeah, that's that's the rumour that I heard. But that is unconfirmed. So, could you be more specific? Just that, like, the network can't get more funding? Like, more funding from who? From CTV or the the government? I noticed in the credits that it is... It's done... It's part funded by Ontario Tourism, I think it was. And a few other people. And the whole basis of the funding from the tourist boards to help them with putting together the show is that they promote the areas that the tourist boards serve. So if they get money from the Canadian government to, say, make this programme, there's sort of an implied um, agreement that there will be lots of Canadian legs, I think. Which is weird because everyone who's contestant and uh, most of the core producers are all Canadian too, and it's a program that broadcasts in Canada. Yeah. It's not like it's being outsourced whatsoever. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's a weird thing, but that's the rumour that I've heard this week at least. Hmm. And it sort of makes a bit of sense. So, we still haven't had confirmation about uh, casting opening up for season five. No. Which, of course, I think is a, is a bit premature to be paranoid about it, because it's not even the end of September yet. And I guess this was like the earliest finale to air, I think, compared to the other three seasons, if I'm not mistaken. Except maybe the first one, I think, was fairly early on in September, but that's because there was only ten episodes. This is sort of a bit behind the scenes, but we are recording this on Saturday the 17th. I believe two years ago today we did the Suki and Jinder Elimination episode. So, yeah, it is a bit early for them to be announcing any uh, any season pickups, but Kurt Reptil did ask, why do you think casting and season five haven't been announced yet? I think they haven't decided on what's on the direction to take for next year. That's m- That's my thought on it. Yeah, I worry that they are probably going to try and do All-Stars next year, and it won't work, and it will kill off the franchise. Yeah, because there's, I mean, like with the... F- like with the actual Amazing Race, they only had, they waited in, all the way until season 11 and they picked the absolute best people they could choose from that field. And even then they got a couple of key rejections, but they still made that version work. It's it's that and really Heroes versus Villains from Survivor, like the only two all-star seasons I can think of that went down fairly well. And with Survivor, their first all-star star season completely tanked because they, there was only, think about 112 players, I think, at that time. And then you could really only pick people who made it to the merge or further. So then it cuts it down to 70 people. And there was a ton of rejections from the individual contestants from the huge time commitment needed and a bunch of the other details that really they were choosing from a very close-knit group of people who have known each other in such a small community for about three or four years. So really they only had to, they had to pick 18 people from a legitimate pool of about 30 to 40 contestants who would be available to play again at that time. And that season, yeah, we know how that went down. So 
Having an all-star season next year for Amazing Race Canada would be an atrocious idea. I don't think it would. I think the U-turns would be would get way too personal, and there's just such a small field to choose from that if you don't get who you want, you're going to be creeping down to teams who where you're either completely under-edited or didn't really even make an impression on the audience, or teams who production may not even necessarily want to work with again and just create a negative atmosphere. The argument that I've seen is, oh, Vietnam did it in their fifth season. But Vietnam also did, off the top of my head, three hybrid teams from former teams. They also had one person who'd raced before, and they raced with the winner of a Vietnamese top model season. They and also Vietnam only did eight teams. Yes, and they and it's not exactly like Mason Race Vietnam is some big international hit that everyone uh, flocks to watch each week. No, it's a complete mess. <laughs> yeah, like even like a couple seasons ago with Mason Race Vietnam, they had three non-elimination legs in a row to start out the season. But yeah, don't compare anything to Mason Race Vietnam unless you absolutely have to. Yeah. Which is kind of funny because how Stefan Christen won Amazing Race Canada is extremely similar to how the Vietnamese All-Star team won a couple of months ago. Right down to not using the Express Pass and I think even very close to the same number of first place finishes and very close in average as well. Yeah, they are basically the Canadian uh, Lincoln and Ciendat. I'm sure that's what Stefan Christen were shooting for it when they auditioned for, for the Amazing Race Canada. What what they should have done in their bio is just uh, compared themselves to a team who hadn't even raced yet. That would have been awesome. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're like this team who none of you have even seen racing together yet. Yeah, just compare themselves to a team that Peach Georgia leaked for season 29 of Amazing Race. <laughs> I was thinking about this a couple, couple of days ago. If we ever did an Amazing Race Canada bio, it would just be chock full of stupid references. Oh, I know. I was just thinking about that a couple of weeks ago, where if me, and, if me and Ryan, for whatever reason, get rejected, but they do some sort of international season where they wanted me and you, pretty much 90% of our dialogue would have some sort of inside joke that we'd be cracking up, and the producers that are writing with us would have no idea what we're talking about. I honestly think that it would be one of the funniest things that they'd ever done, and also one of the biggest mistakes that they'd ever done, if they did do a... Uh... A shock twist and get me over there. Yeah, I mean, you know that there's going to be so many people online that that are going to say we're trying too hard or or trying too hard even more so than BJ and Tyler. You know we're going to get that criticism. Well, I, I, I honestly think producers would greatly, greatly tire of me quite quickly. Mm-hmm. They would just be sick of me constantly bitching at them, because I would. Like like each leg, we know that if there's an airport involved, it's always going to be an equalizer. So we can just sleep through the alarm clock by about four or five hours and just not care in the slightest. And if we ripped open a clue that was an express pass challenge, we'd be like, nah, it's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> Never has any effect on the Amazing Race anyway. Yeah. Unless they do a slide puzzle on the Amazing Race Canada. That's the only reason we would never, we would ever bother going with the Express Pass. Otherwise, we'll be like, yeah, it's just an irrelevant twist that's been around for way too long. Who cares? And like all the other teams are like, oh, Logan and Michael, who do you think has the Express Pass? And we're like, I don't know. This hasn't really been on our mind. Um, go screw yourselves, guys. 
also, if there was any Canadian history uh, challenge, there would just be jokes from me about how this was just modern Canada. Yeah, and just saying that this is the, it's the most boring history lesson you've ever had to sit through in your life. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about Canada? Meh. Not a lot, really. The food, I suppose. Terry Fox? He was a pretty solid guy. He is inspirational. Having been to Terry Fox Plaza. Yes. We'll win the audience over with Terry Fox jokes, which is even more appropriate since I am doing the Terry Fox run tomorrow. I do that each year for charity. No joke. So, yeah, the sort of attitude that's been perpetuated on Amazing Race Canada is one of not really having to leave or try that hard. And I I mean this with the greatest respect to Amazing Race Canada producers. I don't think you're trying very hard anymore. Like, with this season, like, the first four legs were really well designed. The first four episodes were amazing. And then the rest of the season happened, for the most part. It might be a bit of tough love, but I think that a major race calendar production could try a shit ton harder. Just when when I thought that maybe the dancing tests would be minimized for once, not only did we get just as many as the past couple of seasons, if not maybe even a bit more, I didn't do an exact tally, but they were easier than all the previous dancing tasks we've seen to where teams didn't have to do that many attempts to get their clue. Yeah. Even Joel got through three or four dancing tasks this season. So, uh, oh yeah, so with the decline in ratings, where do you think producers think is the reason that their ratings fell this year? What do they think went wrong? I worry that they probably think, oh, maybe the casting wasn't good enough. We need to cast more patriotic teams, because there wasn't a lot of rampant patriotism from the teams this year. There was just Lowell's inspiration and Emmett, I guess, being the Canadian reality star farmer guy. <laughs> and Joel and Ashley with the guess what guys were First Nations. Mm-hmm. And with what's funny with Emmett too, I'm not sure if I point this out during our finale podcast, but I'm not sure if I think out of any reality TV contestant internationally, He's the closest to winning two separate reality TV franchises, even closer than Boston Rob was at one point. Because in, in Big Brother Canada, he just needed to win that final HOH, or Jillian to win that final HOH, and he wins. Or for Gary to evict Jillian instead of Emmett, and then Topaz would have still screwed up her vote so that Emmett wins. And then here in Amazing Race Canada... He was extremely close to winning that final leg, if not for Jillian's uh, bagel mishap. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I mean, Boston Robbie's probably the poster child of multiple franchises very close to winning, but... Well, with, he wasn't even close, really, to winning all Survivor All-Stars as of the merge. And then with Amazing Race, he lost that by, like, I don't know, what was it, 40 or 45 minutes at the end? But with Emma and Jillian, it was just a matter of, like, what, 15, 20 minutes or whatever it was, and then with how many legs they had won leading up to the finale. Has anyone actually asked how far behind Jillian and Emmett were? I don't know, but I just from what I gather, I assumed it was probably somewhere around 15 minutes. Yeah, I, I think it was probably quite close. Um, so, friend of the podcast, David Bindley, sent me a lovely, uh, a lovely summary of all the seasons. 
He says, I think for me the biggest flaw right now is I still don't feel like Amazing Race Canada has its own identity. Other versions like Amazing Race Australia and Velky... See, he wants me to pronounce the Ukrainian race. Seriously. <laughs> Velky Veradone or whatever it is. Of all the franchises bindles you could have picked, please don't pick the one that I can't pronounce. Veliki Perhoni. Uh, and obviously Hammerots managed to keep the basic format while still making it feel unique. But because Amazing Race Canada basically have been doing their own version of a different franchise each season, China-Russian Season 1, Australia in Season 2, Latino-America in Season 3, and now pre-comedy Hammerots 1 in Season 4, the only real consistent element from season to season is John's folksiness, which is okay but doesn't really suit a show where grandeur is supposed to be the selling point. Hmm. That's a very interesting way of looking at it. Given that you're sort of edging your way towards finding out about Amazing Race Australia, finally, you can probably start getting the comparisons that he's making from season two, especially when it... Bindles is one of the only haters of Amazing Race Australia too, but I think even he doesn't hate it as much as some seasons. Yeah, like with it's interesting that he says that Canadian Amazing Race doesn't have an identity, which is kind of funny because... That's sort of what Canada is typically known for as a whole and what we always try to defend against because we're always trying to make ourselves not look like the U.S. in terms of culture and trying to separate ourselves from them. So like with this Amazing Race Canada, there's so many little things where we try to point to and say, oh, we're not the American version because that's the only version that, you know, like 98% of the audience is aware of. They don't even, most of them aren't even aware of Australia or Israel or all the other versions that go on. It's just them saying, oh, we just don't want to be the American version at all costs. I think in terms of the identity question, it then brings it back to the locations. Because my main argument for Amazing Race Canada doing international travel is, if you want to do the Canadian connection, there are hundreds of thousands of places that you can go to and still have the traditional Canadian connection. Because, especially when it comes to the UK, pretty much every city in the UK has some sort of Canadian connection. Manchester, the nearest city to me, has the flagship store of a Canadian brand, which is Second Cup. There is a huge Canadian expat community in these in this part of the world. And also, it's not as if they'd need to apply for visas, because of Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. And also, as I said in the uh, the blog that I did... If you're going to just stick to Air Canada flights, which please God don't, that's that's one of my major cross marks for Amazing Race Canada 4. Air Canada stopped sponsoring but still provided all the flights. You can go on code share flights and still claim it's from Air Canada. Then you get airlines including Air China, Air New Zealand, Singapore Airlines, Austrian Airlines, Lufthansa, and any other airline in the Star Alliance. And also Air Canada itself flies to 182 destinations in five continents around the world. There is bugger all excuse for not leaving Canada, in my book. Yeah, and just the fact that there's really no locations left. Like, I, I know we've beaten that subject to death, but the only places I could really create for them to go to that are, have any sort of, you know, significance is Churchill, Manitoba with the polar bears, Moose Jaw, just because it has a funny name and it's one of the larger cities, uh, uh, Fredericton, which is like the last provincial or territorial capital that they have yet to visit, and uh, a lake in BC, either up in Dawson Creek, which is such a tiny town. Could you get James Vanderbeek to be the greeter? James Vanderbeek, yeah. 
James Van Der Beek, my player, and uh, or go to like the Abbotsford slash Surrey area. That's that's it. <laughs> yeah, they have been to every other place in Canada. It's ridiculous. And yet, you know as well as I do, there will be repeat locations next season, regardless. And we've already had repeat locations the past two seasons. Like we already we've done Halifax twice now. They've had Montreal twice. We've had uh, what's another place? Calgary. Calgary got half a leg in season one. They got an entire leg this season. And Vancouver's had two legs. We can argue until we're blue in the face, but we know we both know that we're going to see a uh, at least a few repeat locations next season. Yeah, like their next season, like if it's anything more, I can see like the first two legs and the last two or three legs being in Canada. But any more than that, and if you have any sort of, if you have like as bad a casting from season one, you're going to be in that exact same situation where I'm just going to be really disinterested again and not really bothered with keeping up with what's going on. Yeah, it's getting to the point where the answer to Amazing Race Canada is really no one cares. Well, just there's so many people outside of Canada who are hardcore Mason Race fans, and a bunch of them are just like uh, like uh, Carl Hageman, who who just makes fun of the Canadian version, saying, "Oh, you guys rarely leave Canada," who, and then he just makes jokes about it, and he hasn't uh, he hasn't watched a single episode. Amazing Race Canada has all of the potential and none of the execution for me. If they can keep up with the casting from Amazing Race Canada four, because it did learn its lessons from Major Race Canada 3, and they got lucky. If they can keep that up and just get a bit more inspired when it comes to locations and keep up the potential that they had in the first four legs of last season, then they'd have a great franchise. Yeah, like, the casting really saved them this year, I believe. Like, without without the Frankie and Amy's and the Joel and Ashley's and Lowell's puns and Kelly and Kate... Kelly and Kate... And Stefan Kristen. Stefan and Antoine. And Stefan and Antoine, yes. Like, just the... And even Rita and Yvette, when they're little moments here and there, like, without... And then Jillian's uh, hysterics. Without them, this this season would have been... Would have just died out after Kelly and Kate's elimination. That would have been it. Yeah. I have to mention Stefan and Antoine, because uh, Antoine accepted my friend request on Facebook right before we started recording. Oh, yes. Big shout out to him. But yeah, I have such high hopes for Amazing Race Canada because it is the successor for me to Amazing Race Australia. I love Amazing Race Australia too. It's the best season I've ever seen. And they are the natural successor to that. But they're just wasting their opportunities. Which is goes directly against Phil Kogan's uh, Twitter name. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't know what we can do about Amazing Race Canada other than say, please, for the love of God, leave the country. Exile them. Deport them. <laughs> you could have ten seasons easily with just Commonwealth locations and go to Canada for the first and last legs. Yeah. And the fact that they aren't willing to just take the leap. The whole point of Amazing Race is to have different cultures and different language barriers and just throw people into it. And whilst going to places like Vietnam is such a culture shock that it is great, that was three legs of 11. That isn't good for me. Why do we need different cultures when we have all the culture right here, Michael? I am 
shocked and disappointed that I have to talk about xenophobia when it comes to Canada, when that is a should be an American trait. Do you think that with the season two that producers played it safe? Like they put oh, 100%. all their all their eggs into the casting basket and then wanted like four of the first four episodes to really hook people in and then after that it's like, yeah, whatever, we'll let things ride out with the usual stuff. Because that was the thing they built at the start of the season two is that they copied the Amazing Race Asia 3 mantra of this is the most difficult race ever. And then it was like that for about the first four episodes and then they just went back to the same old song and repeated dance over and over again that we've seen from the past couple seasons. I hate to be hard with them and say you're half-arsing it, but they're half-arsing it. They're not They're not putting the effort into the actual race as a whole like they should be anymore. And the slide started going downhill at the start of Season 3. Because Season 3 had a great cast. We spent like two and a half hours in total talking about the 12 teams of that cast. And one by one, with the exception of Susan and Sean and Dana and Amanda, thank you Newfoundland, every team that went was a star until we were left with the final three where we had Brent and Sean who vomited their way to the top three, Nick and Matt who we got the humour of and no one else really did, and Gino and Jesse who are one of the worst teams personality-wise to ever have raced. It's like they were grown in a lab to be competent at Canadian legs, but suck all the fun out of a room. What was surprising about this season two is that it was the first time they downgraded the, like, season two completely built on season one in, you know, every facet possible. And then even season three, they even enlarged the cast a bit more and incorporated the... um, the double battle and the little express pass twist they did. And then this season, they not only dropped the number of teams, but also the number of episodes, the number of international legs, and just anything to like build upon the last season. Everything this season was really a subset of what we've seen the past three seasons. And also, CTV really didn't hype it up this year. We didn't have any confirmation of how many legs there were we didn't have any confirmation of twists we didn't even have confirmations of countries or how many countries or how many cities or how far the race was yeah they didn't really promote it didn't go out of their way to promote it that much like they usually do i remember during the first season they were doing these weird this weird tour thing where they would go to each city and set up like a fake amazing race clue box thing and have people compete in some sort of odd competition there was just no hype from CTV. It was just, oh yeah, we've got to announce the Amazing Race cast, haven't we? Maybe they just didn't like all the all-female teams. And they they finally got their wish of an all-female winner, but let's be honest, Steph and Kristen weren't the best potential female-female winner of that cast. But still, still solid. Yeah, by default, they are the best winners of Amazing Race Canada, which isn't hard. They had to their fun moments, but imagine a Frankie and Amy win. Or imagine a Kelly and Kate win somehow. Or Anne and Tanya, whose win would just defy all all logic and all expectations. By default, we have to like Anne and Tanya just because of the face cream joke. And Anne's reaction to <laughs> the food eating challenge. The Incredible Hulk. <laughs> I can't do this! <laughs> That's the thing with this season, too, is that like the top two teams from day one in a loose sense, hung together and dominated 
everybody else in the race all the way through to the very end. Like I was reading comments online saying, oh, that was an unexpected, unpredictable finish to the season. And I'm thinking, really? Because that's because even the same people who said that said, yeah, I did expect Stefan, Chris, and Emmett Jilling to make it all, all the way to the end. And it's like, well, then it was predictable. It went exactly as you imagined it, you know, three months ago. The top three of the season average-wise were the top three of the season in placement and in order. That is the definition of a pretty predictable boot order, or a pretty predictable end to the season. And much like seasons past couple seasons, the only time that really switched around at all was when they went to the Air National destinations, like with, with Vietnam this season. That's the only, the only two legs this season that didn't end with Stefan Christen or Emin and Jillian winning, or even really being both of them being top two, was when Kelly and Kate came out of nowhere to win the third leg after finishing last or next to last in the first two rounds. And then they won Joel, the fourth leg. That was the fourth leg? Okay. Yeah. And then Joel and Ashley winning the third leg. And then after that, it was either Evan and Jillian and or Stefan and Kristen just clobbering the entire cast. Yeah. I mean, it, with the format of Amazing Race Canada as they've done it before, it's not really that difficult for physical teams to dominate. Because mm-hmm. when you take away all that uncomfortable culture shock and pressure and communication barrier, as if you're just going through Canada, then yeah, it's going to be the same teams that are just going to dominate over and over. It's why you see, you know, Natalie and Megan winning seven out of the first uh, 11 legs. And Kurt Repchel summed up our point quite wonderfully. He said, basically the way it is now, Canada is the main character in the show, and they need to let the cast be the spotlight and let the locations stand on their own. Yeah, he, he did. He, put, he phrased it much more concisely than we did. I mean, we're, we're kind of here for 15 minutes, harping on the same point that Kurt does in the sentence. <laughs> Kurt's podcast would be one-tenth the length of our podcast each week. Much more direct, and with much fewer inappropriate jokes. Yeah, be like Golden Wine. Uh, Muneeb Khan says, Amazing Race Canada is A-plus in casting. They do a great job of humanising their cast and focusing on character development, much better than almost anything US post-season 13. However, saying that, the emphasis on supermajority Canadian-centric routes ran its course by the end of season 2, and it should have gone majority international routes. The cast can only make up the season for so long, since Tab starts becoming a fun obstacle course show, rather than experiencing different cultures and people. Yeah, there's just what we've been what we've been saying before i think i mentioned it before but my brother and my sister-in-law they're like super duper mega super fans of amazing race and especially my sister-in-law and even when we were talking uh we were having a conversation at the end of season one how they said oh yeah probably by there's no way that they can keep up with the canadian locations like by the end of season two is they'll probably max out and then here we are at the end of season four where now it's where it's just become a big joke. Yeah. And I mean, it's got to the point where Sudbury paid $55,000 to be featured on the race. That is not what I want. There shouldn't be any influence from them, from the tourist boards, because that just gets a boring route. Yeah, like people are making jokes about Amazing Race Asia 5 saying, oh yeah, five legs are in Indonesia. But on the other hand, it's like, well... They're still spending the majority of the race outside of Indonesia, so you know if we're if we're talking about Amazing Race Canada each week, then we can't really uh, knock Amazing Race Asia too much. No. Uh, so now we're on to my favorite bit to talk about: 
the twists, because we didn't have any twists this season, they sort of gave up on the twists. As you mentioned, we, we had the introduction of the double battle last season and the return of the double express pass, although at least it was actually for something useful. At least teams had to earn it. Yeah, like they uh, treated the double express pass as like a, as pretty much the fast forward, really, where you had to do an additional task to get it. But the thing is, is that like this season, it probably broke like the express pass has always played out in such an irrelevant fashion for so many years now. Like Gary and Mallory are the only people I can think of that have used it in any sort of relevant fashion. And even then, that's a bit of a stretch. But here we have it where team got the double express pass and it's, and everyone said, Oh, there's snakes and all this name calling and stuff that went on for a couple of episodes, but didn't matter because they won so many legs and won the race anyway. In fact, they didn't even use their own express pass. They just returned it. And the express pass uh, expiration date was a lot earlier than most seasons. And the other team who used their express pass used it, on a round that was a non-elimination leg anyway. In fact, it was a to-be-continued leg, so everyone was going to be equalized the very next round, which meant no matter how that played out, that express pass was just wasted. So there was all this time and energy spent with two express passes where really just there was just a funny moment with Joel and Ashley getting dissed with it at the pit stop, and then Kristen trying to trying to lie about the express pass and then of course Frankie having really loose lips about this, the promise to Stefan Kristen. So other than a little bit of comedy, on the race itself it didn't really serve any purpose. I am on record as being one of the biggest haters of the express pass generally on the internet. I despise it with every fibre of my being because it is such a useless, pointless twist for me and adds in the one thing that Amazing Race shouldn't force which is alliances amazing race is about teams of two racing around the world and yeah sometimes people get in the way and you get alliances and helping each other and that sort of thing they shouldn't have to force that yeah like what well, that's what i was about to say i'm not against alliances and amazing race it's just that it already happens on its own to begin with that seems weird to just throw in this little artificial twist that i mean the thing is that people say, oh, alliances are made because of the Express Pass, but a lot of those alliances would have already been would have already been made to begin with. Producers are just, just pushing it a little bit harder. It's like instead of it instead of teams waiting until, say, the third or fourth round to make that key bond to hold through to the rest of the season, now it's just gonna happen in episode two, so then it takes up that much more of a storyline for the whole season. Yeah, it, alliances should come naturally, is what I'm saying. And they shouldn't have to be worried about alliances not forming quick enough and saying, let's put in the double express pass for funsies. Yeah, like, we've had alliances right from the end of the first round of the very first season of Amazing Race. And that was, oddly enough, that was with the final, the teams that would go on to be the final three. The fact of the matter is, Amazing Race Canada is the only franchise that now does double express pass every time. That should tell you everything you need to know. And they've only done, they've probably done the least number of fast-forwards of any franchise, I would assume. Just two, only, they've only, well, one that, uh, one that was unaired in the first season, and then one in each of their next two seasons. Well, there was two in Major uh, Canada 2, because there was the, the signs and the life drawing. Right. Take that back. 
No, Amazing Race Australia's had less. Amazing Race Australia's only had two total. Because that was the head shave and life drawing in seasons one and two, respectively. Speaking of which, is the fast forward just being killed off universally? I guess, yeah. Amazing Race China 3 had one. And that's the most recent one. Hammerots hasn't had one, but Hammerots hasn't really been as big on them anyway. They only had one in season four. But I'd say the fast forward is probably on its way out just because they want to do express passes instead for some reason. And that's the wrong way to go for me. But even then, like even the last US season, they didn't do a fast forward and they only had that one express pass that was around for two weeks. I like having at least a couple of fast forwards just because it varies who wins the legs. Yeah, otherwise, like, that that's, uh, has been the case with the past few seasons is that you see a lot of the same teams just win over and over again. Like, past couple of years, we've had Juno and Jesse win five legs and the season. Stephen Kristen win five legs in the season. Tyler and Corey won five legs as well during 28, then choked at the end. And then, you know, you have Justin and Diana where they won, they won seven legs. Yeah. Yeah, they won seven legs. Tyler Corey won five. Uh, Justin and Diana won seven. Although then, of course, we have to acknowledge the exception, which season 26 had no fast forwards. And I think even every team, including Phil Kogan, won a leg that season. And the other thing that Hammerots does so much better, the double battle. I touched upon this in, I think it was the episode 10 recap. But the double battles are so shit in Canada. Well, they just always make it a. They always turn a sport into the double battle, when it could really be anything. Like it, like so far we've had, what is it? Curling, uh, that water water kayaking with the separatist guy is the best one. Yeah, it was kayak hockey, curling, uh, volleyball, and golf are the four. It's like their own little Olympics uh, between those four double battles. Whereas, if we look at four of the Israeli ones, we have wrestling in a pit of chocolate, musical chairs with random locals, uh, competitive standing to attention being um, guards in London. Strip poker? Strip poker, yep. And the wonderful return of the Tomatina detour in Spain. They made that a double battle. The what? The Tomatina detour. You know the Robin Kimberly babe tomatoes being chucked to their head oh they turned that into a double battle where they just had to whip tomatoes at each other that was a double battle where they, they had to compete to find the um, to find the clue in one of the tomatoes before the other team man i could watch a repeated loop of kim getting hit in the head with that tomato over and over again babe 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 hammer just does it so much better and they just need to look east i guess to to ask hammer what they do well because they do double battle so well and so stupidly and i guess that the laws are slightly different at what they can do to teams but still they just need to add a little bit of fun into it for me yeah i think masonry's canada what it could do to further its identity is make it more comedic and just go with the, just be ridiculous go to these international locations that have a tight canadian connection and just do the most ridiculous, silly things that Canadians can do without dancing or, or dancing that involves cross-dressing. As long as they avoid those two things, it's, it's a win-win for everyone. They just need to find the fun again, would be my main point. They've sort of, they've gone too serious and 
relied on the teams to provide the fun, and they need to remember that the tasks also are as as big a part of providing the fun. Yeah, like I I genuinely got inco- uncomfortable during the finale when we got the whole Canada's great speech and stuff from Emmett, where it's like, uh, this isn't the reason why I watch the show. It's to satisfy the whole international geography uh, uh, freak in me, as well as watching hilarious competitive reality TV show moments like you would see in a good chunk of the seasons of Survivor, minus all the discussion about boat splitting and idols and whatnot in recent years. I need to point out that neither of us hate Canadian legs, necessarily. We don't hate the idea of them, because Logan is a very proud Canadian. I am a fan of Canada. But you don't need that many Canadian legs. And if you're going to do that many Canadian legs, you need to double down on the entertaining fun that's going to distract from the fact that it's a Canadian leg. Whereas they sort of half-arsed it and thought, oh, the cast will carry it. And the cast is only one of one component of a massive array of things that provide a brilliant season. The locations are as big a part of a great leg as the cast is, as are the tasks. And they can't just focus on one because they're going to end up killing the show inadvertently. And with the twists, uh, we talked about the Express Pass, how we want that to essentially go. Talked about fast forwards. Um, Speed bumps, alternative to to a speed bump that they can do. Handicap. Yeah. (laughs) Handicap is the one answer that will ever come out of my mouth when they say what what should a non-elimination penalty be? It needs to be a ha- handicap just because it provides production with a little bit of an option. The handicap is the Norwegian non-elimination penalty. The way that Norway did it is that they said, you're going to have either an extra task or an extra requirement to a task. So if you're going to India and have to do the classic dung cake task, everyone else has to do 50, you have to do 75. If you're going to go to Australia. You might have the extra task of having to climb up a greasy pole before you can go to the pit stop and getting a koala keyring off the top of it. Actual task. Or you might have a forcible U-turn. It just allows production to add a bit of variety and a bit of spice into it. And yeah, you'll get the, the claims of, oh, it's rigged against Team X, but everything on Amazing Race is planned beforehand anyway, so it's not rigged towards them. And it just adds a little bit of spice because teams never know what they're going to get if they get an elimination penalty. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this was the first reading event where the first team to be eliminated because of a speed bump in Amazing Race Canada history. And that was on a leg where they were also U-turned and they had teams like Stefan Kristen and Emma and Jillian already way ahead of them. And reading events were already losing to... All four teams, really, in terms of average by that point, anyway. The thing that I will say for Amazing Race Canada is their speed bumps haven't been terrible. The speed bumps have been alright, I guess, because we have had the Suki and Jinder having to pull a trailer completely in the wrong direction before heading to the robot task. We've had the, the Christmas Island task. They weren't exactly easy sitting on an ice chair for ten minutes. Or on time or not. But also, they could still be better. And Kelly and Kate's speed bump was like two, seemed like it took no more than two minutes to do. Although, if it was any other team, it would have been the most boring TV to watch. But because Kelly and Kate already are petrified of anything, uh, it ended up being hilarious. Yeah, it would be like Shaola and Nabila having to carry popsicle sticks. But yeah, the more and more I think about it, Ben is right that a huge chunk of 
the early, why the early, or first four episodes were so fun, other than the really good design to it, is that you had Kelly and Kate around. As soon as they were gone, then it's like, oh crap, we have all these Canada legs, and we're just relying on the rest of the cast to carry it to the end. One twist suggestion that I had, as I like to mention, is the must vote U-turn. I would like to see Canadians have to use the U-turn. That's something I crave too. I want to see how, because that twist is completely quote-unquote foreign to Canadian viewers who are only familiar with the American version. So I would love to see their reaction to the must-vote U-turn and how the contestants handle it themselves. Yeah, the way Israel does it is they have either a must-vote U-turn or a must-vote yield on every leg apart from the first one and the last two. And it's very rare that the same team gets it every single time, which is great. It forces production to make the details balanced, which is great. And also, it subtly adds in the alliances without forcing them, which is wonderful. And what's great about it is that I just want to see how Canadians put up with the twist like that. And uh, and also just with how the past two seasons, it seems like we've pretty much broken the double U-turn. Because initially, when I heard with the Canadian version that you can use an unlimited number of U-turns, I, I thought that was a good idea at first. I thought, oh, nobody's really restricted to a strategy. They can just use it whenever they want. Especially with the disappearance of Fast Forward, where that was the most strategic element about the Amazing Race for the first few years. With with the you, with the unlimited U-turn, it's like, you can still set it up. So just that, just that new storyline, I guess, can be explored with it. As opposed to something like the Express Pass, where... The craziest thing that can happen is like a team not using and getting eliminated on the same leg. You can't really approach it from a new angle anymore. But with the with the U-turns, it was like, oh, so they can just use it at you know both times. How is that going to play out? But you know, last season we see Gino and Jesse, you know, just use it twice in the most boring fashion possible, and then just have Nick and Matt or Brian and Cynthia use. Or it wasn't Brian and Cynthia. It was Nick and Sabrina who used it. Oh no, Brent and Sean used it against uh, against uh, Nick and Sabrina. So yeah, so they, it's just the same team using both U-turns just to increase their lead that much more and eventually win the season. And then here we are, we not only have a team use both U-turns again and win the season again, but also have the second place team also use both U-turns and stay in that same second place spot. And just complete. And and what it, what it does too is that because they have the unlimited use, that blocks anybody else from even being able to use it once. The best thing about the must vote U-turn though is it breaks the double express pass irreparably, because teams tend to go for the express pass for one of two reasons. One is a task that they can't do. The other is being U-turned. So mm-hmm. it blocks that because if there is a U-turn every single leg and teams are voting for it every single leg, you can only get out of being U-turned once. And the thing is, too, is that there's so many teams who, with an Amazing Race Canada, we have to hear, like, oh, we're just going to play fair, or we're not going to do anything sneaky. Well, with the must-vote U-turn, now everybody has to get in on it, and there's nowhere to hide. And then it just becomes a genuine part of the game. And also, you end up with the wonderful situation like Hammerots had this year, of having, like, five teams be U-turned or yielded at the same time. Because they all got on that five-way tie with two votes or whatever it was. Yeah, it was 11 teams voting, and it was 
five teams all on two votes each. I think it was a yield leg. So they all got yielded, because that is the tiebreaker. It's not it's not just uh, flip a coin or whatever. It's everyone who gets the highest number of votes gets U-turned or yielded. No exceptions. Mm-hmm. And also, on top of that, they then add in the twist of a double U-turn leg, where it's a must-vote U-turn, and then the team who gets U-turned can U-turn anyone who is behind them when they get to the board. Yeah, like that would just be so fascinating to watch, because unfortunately... I don't understand or speak Hebrew, so I'm kind of lost out on this, except for the one case they do this in Amazing Race Australia too, which I won't get to for another, you know, six to months to a year if I'm lucky. So I would just love to see how this plays out, you know, two or three or four episodes in a season of Amazing Race Canada. Sadly, Amazing Race Australia only does it once. Yeah, there's just that one case of it. And it is quite early in the season, but it's fun still. It's nice to see them try and evolve their race. Especially when Canada doesn't have her... When we don't even have our own version of Survivor yet, somehow. I don't know I don't know why that is. Because it's Canadian, they would also have to make it in, like, none of it or somewhere. Ugh. No. Get your head together, guys. CTV. Stop being stupid. <laughs> um, one other suggestion from Kurt is that introducing things like the intersection and the salvage pass. Yeah, we haven't had an intersection yet in the Mason Race Canada. And it could be, you know, it's Canadians working together, you know. Uh, really show off the Canadian spirit that way. And as you will find out with watching Amazing Race Australia 1, Amazing Race Australia does intersections the best out of any franchise. Because there's one that is has its own set of penalties. Because it is two teams teaming up to get three slices out of a massive log using a saw, I think it was. And there's actually different penalties depending on whether your team has completed one slice or not. Oh. But that is, it's a creative way. It's not just a one-task kind of half-arsed thing, oh, we'll do the detour together, or we'll, oh, we'll do the fast-forward together. The US version completely ruined all the potential with the intersection. They just did it for one task, and especially when two of them were after a non-elimination round, so that team was essentially screwed. But uh, with the Canadian version... You know, they could just... I What I really want to see is have an intersection hold up for two episodes and just see how that plays out. Or, with having the double battle, they can combine both the double battle and the intersection, so it's two teams versus two teams, and they do that. They could do that with the, you know, with the last eight teams, with the eight teams left in the season. That could be the first double battle they have of the season, rather than hanging it on onto it till the very end of the season. That is exactly what Amazing Race China did this year. In their final four leg, like, they did an intersection double battle. Oh right, that's true. It got it, but that was like a huge mess of a leg though, because they did a bunch of other stuff with it too, didn't they? Didn't they have the intruder team? No, this was this year, the the season that finished on Friday. Oh, so the Atlanta like they did that, or yeah, Mexico City. They had a um, intersection double battle as the first task of the leg, and Jeez. it was. A sprint relay, I seem to remember, which, you know, isn't a great task, but it's a kind of cool idea. Yeah, Maze Race China, let's... That was weird that they actually pulled off the whole Olympic theme from start to finish. Go to only Olympic-themed destinations, and that was it. Did they do any other weird twists during the season? I didn't really keep up with it the past few weeks, because, you know, three episodes of Australian Survivor to keep watching. Not in that one. Amazing Race China 2 was sort of the gold standard of crazy twists, but Amazing Race China 3, they did a must-vote U-turn... They did the intersection double battle. 
and a couple of other double battles that were Olympic themed. Um, they did the revival pass, and they basically copied the entirety of the uh, Amazing Race twenty six Germany leg as well. So they yeah, like the first like they had the revival pass where they bring back an eliminated team, but they did that after the second elimination. Yeah, it was the first four legs that they could use it on, or they had to use it on. So really, the first four legs didn't even matter. None of it even mattered, Michael. It's like the points in whose line is it anyway? Um, so the one final question that we have left to cover is if there was an Amazing Race Canada All-Stars, who would you want to come back? And that's from Renee Khan. First, as we said earlier, this should not be happening next year. But if it did, what, would they, what should they do? Um, burn the franchise to the ground would be my answer to that. But I worry that they would bring back boring teams. They would think, hmm, Dana and Amanda were popular. Let's bring them back as a redemption arc. Who Gino and Jesse were popular. Let's bring them back to see if they can win again. And that's not the way All-Star season should go for me. I want hilarious characters to come back every time. I don't care about redemption arcs. I want to see Suki and Jinder. I don't know, Dre. Even Sharla and Nabila from season two. That's the sort of team I want. I think they need one or two possible redemption arcs, but it has to be interesting teams, not... Oh, this team could have gone far. They didn't get much airtime, but let's have them back anyway. I don't want to see teams come back just because they won the Fuel Your Casual fan favorite poll. Looking at you, Dana and Amanda. Oh, it'd be Dana and Amanda and Gino and Jesse and uh, who won season twos? Was that Natalie and Megan? Yeah, it was Nat Meg. And first season was Jet and Dave? No, they didn't have Fuel Your fan favorite in season one. Because the Gas for Life was the first reaction from Suki and Jinder at the start line of season two, if you remember. So I put together a cast of twelve teams, I, and I went with reason. I, I didn't. I went with choices that I knew production would consider. Not anybody like I know they don't really like Pierre and Michelle, so I knew they didn't have a chance. So I didn't really include them in this list. I went with reasonable choices who a would cater to the casual audience and b would be an interesting cast to put together. Fire away them. Very well, I shall. Okay, so the first season. There's really only three teams I really want to see from the first season's cast period. Let's see if it's the three I have written down as being casting stars from that season. Okay. I think I know which three you're going to go for. Yes, and it comes from the stars of the middle three episodes of the season, which I view as the only episodes worth watching from the first season of Amazing Race Canada. Uh, so I have Hal and Joanne. Yep. The Keep Fit and f team. Britton Hawley. Yep who triggered the Keep Fit and F-Off moment and were just complete stars from day one through to their elimination in Nunavut. And let me guess, is it Jet and Dave? And Jet and Dave because <gasps> they're the fan favorites and the only alpha male team I really picked to be in this season. Yes, they're in it because they also have, occasionally they do mess up and have their couple of blunders like they did early on in the season, but... All three of these teams, they each did quite well at certain points, but they also have the potential to be disasters, and they are very, they're all very type A personalities, and as soon as Jet and Dave went home, we were left with the Tims, Vanessa and Selena, and Jody and Corey, and I'm glad the Tims pulled off the upset, but they're not really A-list material like these three teams were. I honestly think that Jet and Dave having to do a race around the world would be amazing, because they, their major cock-up was on the one leg where it was kind of culturally different. Yes, Chinatown in Vancouver, yes. 
next season they can go to Richmond. So them having to travel to actual other countries would be hilarious. Mm-hmm. And these three teams are all somewhat evenly matched, so it wouldn't be just like, oh, pick one robotic team to win everything. And plus the international travel aspect, I'm really curious about, especially with somebody like Joanne who had the F-off moment in the middle of Saskatchewan. Let's see what happens when she gets U-turned in the middle of Indonesia. And because they keep saying that them and Britain, of course, Hal and Joanne and Britain Holly have to reignite their rivalry again. Like, Hal, Hal insists that that they've repaired the relationship with Brent Holly, but there's other times where he disses Brent Holly. So I don't think that relationship's really repaired, and it's good, and that would be a really fun storyline in an All Star season. I feel like the only way you could do an Amazing Race Canada All Stars is if you did rivals. If you cast twelve teams and it's six pairs of teams who hate the living shit out of each other, that would be the only way I could see it working properly. Yeah. So season two, pick three teams as well. Um, really only two of these three teams I thought were should be locked in. And then the third team, it didn't really fit in with the other two choices as much. I think I know two of the three you're going to go for. So number one, of course. Suki and Jinder. Yeah. And they would cause so much controversy. I, I would love to see them interact with Hal and Joanne. <laughs> there is no way Hal and Joanne would not try and bitch slap them. Yeah. Or them having to interact with... I could see them and Brett and Holly getting along, come to think of it. <laughs> it would be such a mess. So, Suki and Jinder in any cast, you really have to have them stir things up. My love of Suki and Jinder is so well known. They are still my flair on the Amazing Race subreddit on, uh, on Reddit. And my love for them is eternal. I think they're wondrous. And then, second choice... I, I think Alain and Andre is going to be one of your picks. They were my third choice. Because I think that they... You've got to have a Quebec is crazy team. And I think that they are probably one of the more fun examples. Because she is such a large personality. Which wasn't really showcased quite that much during the second season. We saw a bit, a good chunk of it online. But I think out there, just because of, because of the whole proposal thing, that they were compelled to downplay Alain and Audrey's uh, relationship a bit. Or rather, the bickering between them. The one negative I would say for Elaine and Andre is I don't think that they would come back. I think that, especially with him being in Hollywood movies now, I don't think that they would say yeah. Yeah, like Elaine is now bigger than Amazing Race Canada, so I could see them being like, who cares? Let's not bother with it. I think they'd be a fun casting choice if they did come back, especially if they got the sort of Gillian and Emmett-esque edit, but for an actual engaged couple or Married or... Are they married yet? I think they're still engaged. Yeah. Alan's Hollywood time has really taken it away from them both setting a setting a, a wedding date. But yeah, I think that give them a Gillian and Emmett-esque edit and it would be quite entertaining. And my second choice was Cormac and Nicole. Really? Yeah. That's mm. the one, that was my redemption team. That was the one redem- redemption team I chose. I wasn't a huge fan of them in the season... Because there was something a little bit creepy about them. I couldn't put my finger on it, but there was just something a little bit odd. Well, yeah, I gave. I had a tough time picking teams from season two, I must say. like Because you have, like, Shala and Nabila were 11th, so I couldn't really pick them. Why? They're such stars. <laughs> Shala and Nabila need to be cast purely for the one argument. Will they be the first boot again? Yeah, I was thinking that's what I would do, but... When you're doing a full, like, Amazing Race Canada 5 all-star season, 
I had a tough time justifying it. I would do it personally, though, if I knew, like, you know, if this was, like, the absolute last season, I just want to make it as ridiculous as possible. That's what I would do. Is there a team that Charlotte Nabila can actually beat? That is the question I want an answer to. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Pierre and Michelle would, would be fantastic villains, but I knew I couldn't pick them because I know production would never choose them again for anything. Not a chance that Pierre and the Michelles would ever come back or be invited back. They're probably the team out of all 42 teams to race on the Amazing Race Canada that are the closest to being blacklisted, I think. So what about Amazing Race Canada 3? Uh, Canada 3, Nick and Sabrina. Yes. That's why I had Alan Audre as the slightly lower tier pick, because there's only room for one crazy Quebecois team, and that's that's Nick and Sabrina. The problem is, I don't think that they had the public support that they deserve. Had they gone to Final Four like Suki and Jinder, I think they would have got the redemption in terms of um, public opinion. Because Suki and Jinder were hated at the start of the season, and we were the only voice of, actually, Suki and Jinder are great characters, and people came round on them by the Final Four. And furthermore, Nick and Sabrina, I think, would do very well in interna- with legs with a, with a lot more international legs in a season. Like, that's the thing about the season one teams with the three that I chose. It's like, hmm, how would they do when they have to do an actual race? The one thing I will say for Nick and Sabrina, and I love them dearly, but please, God, if they ever come back for an All-Stars, let them align with Suki and Jinder. I want to see that mess of an alliance. Oh, they would not get along. Oh, it would be just... It would be lightning in a bottle. That would be just god-tier alliance for me. That would be like the Vavau alliance on Australian Survivor. Oh, Jonathan, you're going to make me blush. (laughs) It would just be god-tier. Because it would be a mess. And there would be such fighting and multilingual bickering. And it would be wondrous. Yeah, like Suki and Jinder would be like uh, would be yelling at them in Punjabi, and then Nick and Sabrina would yell back at them in French, and then there'd be a little bit of English mixed in there, or Italian and whatnot. The potential for another season of Nick and Sabrina, especially if they manage to get better than eight, would make All Stars worthwhile to me. That's the thing with Nick and Sabrina. You forget that they finished that low overall in the season, but yet they, in terms of characterization and bringing memorable moments to season three, they put a lot on the table. They were stars. There is no other word for them. They are stars. And I'm saying this fully in the knowledge that they are still friends of the podcast, and any time that I tweet them, they still reply in multi-languages saying how much they love us. But they're just wondrous. So my second team, I chose Neil and Kristen. I won't disagree. I wasn't as high on them as you guys were, but I won't disagree. I think Kristen would keep bringing her personality into it. And they didn't win a leg. And Neil's probably the most capable older contestant type seen on Amazing Race Canada. In fact, he still might be the oldest contestant they've ever had. I wouldn't be opposed to them coming back just for the opportunity of them having a chance to win my favor. And then the third team, this one was tough. I was going to choose Hamilton, Michaela, but I think we both heard the story that, that they wouldn't come back to play again. Yeah, and they're now married, by the way. And then they are now married. Yes, they are. I found so, that out right before this podcast. Yeah, they got, yeah, I found that out a few days ago. So, haha. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I initially had Hamilton and Michaela in there, but then I took them out and threw in Brian and Cynthia. 
for the dry, really dry sense of humor in contrast to everyone else that's that'll be in the cast. Again, I would love it more than anything because them having to interact with Suki and Jinder again would just be god tier. But I don't think they'd get the invite. I don't think production were huge fans of them. Because I was just thinking, like, I had a really tough time with picking teams from season three because I could justify seeming OP, but they just don't seem like a team who would come back to play twice. And I, I think on an all-star season, Simeon OP would probably be quite an early boot. Yeah. I mean, OP's antics were fun, but I think they would just be too low-key for what an all-star season needs. Whereas I think bringing back Nick and Sabrina would be absolutely glorious. I think that they could very well, on the right season, get very far. Mm-hmm. And probably be the sweethearts of the casual fans, rather than the shit that they got last season. Especially yes. for quitting tasks. And then I thought about Brent and Sean, but it's like, they were part of that final three leg from last season. Everyone gets disqualified for being a part of that. <laughs> Shot cast pirate, I would hate to see Gino and Jesse come back, but I wouldn't be shocked if they announced an all-star cast and Gino and Jesse were on it. However, I would love to see them get absolutely annihilated by any of the entertaining teams. I want to see them get you turned out of the race, especially if it was Nick and Sabrina, because that would just be God's here. So for you, was it, is it fair to say that with Gino and Jesse that it feels like there's still unfinished business with them, like they need to come back just so they get eliminated, just to prove that they're not the, you know, the, the, the golden children of, uh, of Amazing Race Canada? I think if production could guarantee me that it was an all-international race, I would endorse them coming back, because there's no way that they would survive. Oh yeah, that's the thing too. It has to be an international race if you're going to bring back Gino and Jesse, just because you know they're going to be gone so early. And that whole idea of them being really good racers, saying oh, but they like when I did my 2015 team r- rankings at the start, and I threw in Gino and Jesse second to last, and I said, eh, they won five legs, but they were all pretty much just Canadian legs, and they were they did so poorly in the four international rounds, or at least well three and a half of them anyway, but. I don't really see them uh, doing too well on a real season. And then people are like, oh, no, no, they, they won the five legs. And it's like, well, you're missing the point. <laughs> so who would you bring back from season four? Frankie and Amy and Sean and Ashley both have to be brought back. <laughs> Especially after the after the race special. Just because with Joel and Ashley being the most capable parent-child team we've seen this far, and then uh, Frankie and Amy being pretty much the most entertaining team of the season, so and plus they have the relationships with each other and they both both teams missed out on pulling off the underdog upset at the end so they both teams have to be brought back i mean like i said earlier if amazing race Canada was going to do all stars you'd have to do it as arrivals and you'd have to put frankie Navy and joel and ashley in there just for the hilarity that could end up happening yeah and then i had a tough time because i don't think i mean Stephen Kristen won but in terms of being strong enough characters to come back again, I, I ultimately decided no. Emma and Jillian have done a full season of Big Brother Canada and Amazing Race Canada. So I kind of threw that out the window, plus their exes. Like, there's only so much you can see bickering exes, uh, the same bickering exes be brought back multiple times, unless it's, you know, Tim and Marie. That's, that's its own category. And then I kept going down the list. I thought, we're going to bet her really low-key and quiet, and then at the reunion show, too, I thought, eh, I, don't, I can't see them coming back. Julian Lowell, I don't think they would come back again. No. 
plus with Lowell focusing on the on the 2020 on the 2020 Stop uh, Olympics. Sorry. So yeah, and then I went down to Kelly and Kate, and I thought, you know what, Kelly and Kate won an international leg. They did well in in both international legs. They need to be brought back for an All Star season when Maze Race Canada is a more real season. Because I would love to put that those claims to rest that they're a crappy team. I think a lot of teams on Amazing Race Canada are sort of good in context with each other. It's the interplay that raises certain teams up above each other. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to sort of choose who you're going to bring back for an all-star when it's just sort of in a vacuum. When a, a lot of them are sort of better characters because of their feuds or relationships with other teams. Yeah, as opposed to just being on their own. And I mean, I think Amazing Race Canada isn't doomed, but they just need to stop half-arsing it. As mean as it is, they need to just put a little bit of effort in. They need to put as much effort into the production of the race itself as much as they do with the incredible casting that they do each year. Yeah, and I get that their hands are probably a little bit tied with how the funding works and the sponsors and trying to promote the Canadianness. but if you're going to stick with the Canadian aspects you can either go for an all commonwealth like all commonwealth season which would be great because there's like 60 countries to go to and i'm going to hazard a guess that at least 40 of them are canada probably fly to mm-hmm. with wonderful canadian connections and all that sort of stuff but if you're going to keep doing lots of canadian legs just put more effort into the tasks make it not feel like a canadian like because if the Canadian legs get predictable, as they did this season, then it starts dragging. Which it did. The, like some people are saying, well, people are cutting the cord when it comes to cable, and that's why there's there's a 600,000 to 1 million viewer drop uh, you know, from throughout the weeks. Not that many people cut the cord this year, I don't think. I don't think it was 40% of all TV viewers in Canada suddenly ditched cable. I want to feel like there's the fire and the passion from production again. Because mm-hmm. it did feel a little bit phoned in this year. After the first four episodes, I agree. First four episodes, fantastic. After that, they had their best Atlanta Canada leg this year, I think. Not a high the, bar, but yeah. Not a high bar. Not a high bar in the slightest. And then the one Cuba leg was a lot of fun. And then the finale was way better than last year's finale. But overall... Not good for the second half of the season. Those two Ontario legs are just were just atrocious, and then their second Atlanta Canada leg. Even with the Cuba leg, though, there was so much more that they could have done had they looked east and gone to the Israeli one or the Australian one. Because there's some wonderful tasks that they did in Cuba, mm-hmm. and they just sort of phoned it in and thought, "Hmm, what is the most Canadian thing to do?" I know beach volleyball, rather than the great idea of competitive bartending, for example. Yeah, which they did earlier on the season in Vietnam. Well, have, having teams race through the street festival with glasses full of cocktails. <laughs> That's the sort of thing that they could have done. But they just need to stop sort of giving me the impression that they're phoning in. I'm sure they're not, but they need to stop giving me the impression that they are. It seems more my take on it. It's just with everything that's happened with CTV, with cancelling... Canada AM after 40 years and just I think just some entertainment show I think was brought in just weird weird things like that that CTV is doing I feel like they're the ones that probably 
that are influencing, that are making all of the negative dis- decisions with production. I think that is where a lot of our pain and suffering uh, comes from. Just the weird things that CTV does, because it's not like they're they're a CBS where CBS lets Big Brother, Amazing Race, and Survivor go go 100% if they want to each year, or in Australia where we've had some incredible seasons of The Mall, and as well as their versions of of uh, the current season of Survivor that's airing there, as well as their the first two seasons of Amazing Race. So just things like that where I don't know, it's uh, it's a bit puzzling at times and. Here's the other question I had for you, Michael, heading into next year, because this year, I mean, yes, Steph and Kristen are the first all-female team to win. We also had five all-female teams cast to begin with, along with exes and parent-child teams to, you know, help tilt the table that much further, as well as having Anthony and Brandon on this season. So... What do you do next year? Do you make the conscious effort to reduce the number of all-female teams? Or do you just say, hey, if they're the best teams we can find in casting, let's go, let's have another 50% cast of all-female teams again? Honestly, if it was me, you cast on personality. I don't really care about the archetypes originally. Especially because now, too, like the American version, they already have three all-female teams that have won. It's not like some historic... It's not some historic uh, milestone anymore. That's the thing that I sort of rolled my eyes with with the Maze Race can. It's like, well, yeah, it happened. In, it's ha- it's happening in this version for the first time, but it's already happened six years ago or more elsewhere. Like the Asia version had it happen on their first season, and then the American version, sure, it took 17 seasons. That's why it became a slightly bigger deal. But with the Canadian version, there's so many links internationally that now it's like, well... Yeah, it was just the fourth season of our version with 50% all-female teams. And this is two seasons after we had an all-female team win seven, seven legs and do all but win the whole season. It's not really some big milestone. I think if it was up to me, which obviously isn't because Amazing Race Canada would be so much better if it was, they need to cast on personality. And if they cast on personality and make teams interesting, it doesn't really matter what the relationship is necessarily. If you're stuck between choosing between two teams, I guess you cast on the archetype then. But if it, if it's a choice between a boring all-male team and an interesting all-female team, go for the all-female team. Yeah. But with compare and contrast to the American version where some of the personalities they cast, like there's always a few teams each season in the American version that get really under-edited and you wonder why they're even really there. I mean, you'll, you'll get there with Amazing Race Australia where you... You have a good sense of what the relationship of each team is very quickly. And part of that is down to the longer run time. I mean, it's like an hour and five for most of the premieres and sort of 55 minutes for most of the other episodes, whether it's uh, Amazing Race Australian Survivor or something like that. You get a good sense of what everyone is like quite quickly. Yeah. But I I still think that Amazing Race Canada could do more. We are both fans of Amazing Race Canada and we both want it to do well. It's just not getting there at the moment. And will it get there? Uh, depends, honestly. Depends if they learn from this year, or the past two years, I guess I should say. Because this was the first downgrade, really, where we had fewer teams, fewer legs, and fewer international rounds, and fewer new installations into the race. It would be very interesting to talk to someone for production, because I would like to see where their heads are at. Or where their heads are forced to be at would probably be a better way of putting it. Because if they want to do all of these things and they're tied by CTV, then that's fine. And I'll 
understand it and sort of give them a pass, I guess. But if they choose to do this, then no, there is no excuse anymore. They've had four seasons of this, and they need to do something. They need to adapt to survive, otherwise they'll get voted out. Because what happens if the casting isn't that great next year? If it doesn't, if it's not like this, this season really was a 9 out of 10 in terms of casting. What happens next year when they make a couple of bad decisions here and there? Then they really have no, no backup plan to, to uh, maintain their success. No, it will die a very quiet death, is the honest answer. Yeah, this season, in terms of commentary online, was fairly low-key to begin with compared to previous years. I mean, I did pull off some of the... I did retrieve some of the most heated remarks online, but it was nowhere near the volume that I recall from the first three seasons. Like, you didn't have somebody protesting the Tim and Tim's win using three or four multi-fake accounts and getting into huge arguments over the Tim's being able to win because of Tim Jr.'s wife causing a big controversy online. Yeah, I, th- I think, honestly, they have the chance to course correct and make it a great franchise and make it last forever. Mm-hmm. But for one reason or another, they're just not. And I, I'd love to know why. Even if it was off the record. If there is anyone from production listening, please send me a message. It won't make the podcast if you don't want it to. And it turns out to be some super patriotic guy at CTV. Yeah. Only Can- Canada. Only Sudbury. If there is anyone from production listening to this, please, if possible, on the condition of anonymity, get in contact with me. Because I want to know why Amazing Race Canada isn't trying to adapt. So, is there anything else to say about Amazing Race Canada before it hibernates and then hopefully comes back renewed next year? Should we briefly talk about the American version at all? Now that we're waiting for, like, if there's, like, season 29, so far, doesn't even have an air date yet. So we assume that's going to be early next year. I'm not heartbroken if it's sort of January, February time, because that works out wonderfully for me. Yes. And then the thing is, though, is because everyone's like, well, maybe like with Survivor, they filmed two seasons at a time and then air it on TV. So now the big question is, well, with November film. not far off, with that now it's like, will season 30 still film in November, December, and then they just have two seasons in the bank? Because if not, then that means that they really are cutting it down to a season by season basis as to whether it continues on or not. I wouldn't be shocked if we don't get another one filming just yet, because they don't know when they'll be able to air it. Plus, it's a huge risk concept they're doing for next season, too, which I'm surprised they still are refusing to make it public, which is annoying, because we can't really talk about it on this podcast. No spoilers, but, you know, it's an interesting twist, and one that I am very much endorsing. I love the idea. There's a very high ceiling for success, but also a very low trough for complete train wreck and terribleness i wouldn't be surprised if we don't get another one filming but if we do get one filming it's going to be all stars certain american teams have been on maneuvers for months trying to get cast for all stars yeah it it is not an insult to say that certain teams have been on maneuvers (laughs) and then the thing is too is that because the american version is going to impact the future of the canadian version because one I think it was Wayne who pitched the idea online that maybe there's no announcement for auditions yet because if there's no American version next fall, then maybe that's when the Canadian one will air instead of during the summer. But I don't see that happening because that's sort of 
you don't really like to it's not a wise idea to switch around scheduling all that much um if amazing race canada gives them gives amazing race us producers word that they're doing all stars next year though would that cause amazing race us producers to hold back no it would be influencing the other way around remember we're canada they're the states like we can't even air our season the same time as the american version is it possible then that Amazing Race Canada producers are waiting to find out what's happening with Amazing Race US. I think so. I think that could be a bit. I think that could be a huge part of it. That's why we haven't heard anything about season five yet. Yeah, that was the idea of whether they're just going to wait till next fall to air the next Canadian season, or if they bump it up to two per year, or who knows? Who knows what what could happen? Their casting isn't really that wide in terms of um, when it closes. It closes like the end of the year normally, doesn't it? Yeah, I think auditions usually, I think right around Remembrance, not long after Remembrance Day weekend, like the week after. I only know that because me and my brother-in-law, you know, we submit it right before the deadline both years. So it's very possible that they're just waiting a couple of weeks to find out from the US producers what's happening and what they can do. Yeah, because it's like, is it going to air in the spring? Is it, are they going to keep just hanging on to it all the way till summer? Is it going to suddenly just only air on the all-access uh, streaming service? Are they going to have two seasons back-to-back? And then, of course, the thing is, too, is that maybe the Canadian version wasn't all that successful viewers-wise this year either, just because Canadians are exposed to three seasons each year on their cable schedule. And after doing this for four years as a routine, that it could just be huge fatigue on part of the viewer. Because that's a lot of content to be watching, especially if you're just on the couch. So, I think we're about done after this monster record. I think so. I think we pretty much covered everything after an hour and a half. So, thank you for listening to this very special You Are Team Number podcast. From this week onwards, we have our podcast for Hunted, which is called Your Time in the Run Launching, alongside our existing Australian Survivor in Hell's Kitchen podcast and RuPaul's Drag Race and Survivor Vlogs. And in sort of three weeks-ish, we have our upcoming coverage of Amazing Race Asia. Guess who's back? Back again. Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Tell a friend. And it'll be the last season before I embark for Europe. It will. And it is, assuming the schedule is what I think it is, we will probably be recording the finale podcast about a day before you fly and come and see me. Yeah, that's exactly the thing I want to do when I'm packing up for a three and a half month trip. It's talk to me when you'll be seeing me when you're very jet jet lagged two days later. I'll podcast from the airport in Reykjavik. I am very excited to see what Logan is like jet-lagged. Because Logan has never done a proper long-distance flight. Toronto is a long ways, Michael. And LA. And it's going to be kind of entertaining for me when I pick you up at the airport. And you're probably absolutely fucked. Plus, I don't drink coffee at all. So this is going to end horribly. If you've got any questions, feel free to contact us on our Facebook page, Reality TV Warriors, on our Twitter accounts, RTV Warriors, or our own Twitter pages, MJ Armstrong for me, and log Sukuaki for Logan. Thank you all season, and goodbye. Peace out, and chill, till the next episode. Or next episode, as they say in Asia. I did it in one take. So proud of you! It was like magic in my fingers. I'm all wet. It doesn't matter.